0: Welcome to the Life House Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging, and now life-giving. Now I'm so excited be to be blessed. blessed. Um, but
1: one thing that kind of gets me down is that I can't see your smiling faces looking up at me because you're wearing masks. I'm all for wearing masks. You need to wear them. But can you do me a favour this morning? If you um, hear something that you agree with, could you just give me a little nod? Or if you're a little bit vocal, give me a yep. Give me a, that's good, Holly. Yeah, not bad. That's all right. Or, you know, amen. Any of those things, just so I, I'm i understanding that you're understanding. You're catching what I'm throwing. You agree. You know, that kind of thing. Is that cool? Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm expecting like a sea of bobbleheads, just like, mm. It's gonna be good it's gonna be good all right well let's get stuck into it um as you know we are continuing our series the usual suspects and this morning myself and my lovely friend tegan are going to be sharing with you on the book of ruth so if you have your bibles feel free to flick on over to the book of ruth and um just to give you some context ruth is part of the old testament um and it's a really short book only four chapters tiny little tacker And um, it's one of my favourite books. I really, really love it. Um, And I'm going to be focusing on the kind of the context of the book of Ruth and chapters one and two. And then Tegan will follow through with um, chapters three and four. So, to to set the scene, just so you guys understand, if you haven't fully read um, the book of Ruth before, I'm going to need some volunteers for this. And I'm going to use people in the front row because they're always keen, always willing. um, And either way, I'm just going to get you to do it. So, it's going to be fun. Oh you're a photographer. Oh no, you're putting the camera down. Thank you Anna. Let's give it up for Anna. You can come on up. Um Alicia, you can come up to Ebony, why not? Come on up. Nicole. Um I need some boys. Jake, you can come on up. Brock, would you mind popping up as well? Thank you. All right, you can be you can be Boaz, Jake, of course. <laughs> now, how many people I actually need a few people. You can be Opera. You can be Ruth. Bear with me, friends. You can be Naomi. You're actually going to be a boy, even though I know that you're a girl. But you can be (laughs) Elimelech. Boaz. Oh, I need another human. You can be son number one. Hey, Jacob, you can come on up too. Let's give it up for Jacob. He's always getting picked on. I've just noticed. You've been in church five minutes and we're just constantly getting you on the stage for sermon illustrations. Anyway, God's good. Don't you think it's such a risk just to come on up on stage when someone's sharing? Like who knows what could happen? They could be jumping on teddy bears. Pastor Mark could be dancing. Who knows what's going to happen? But I love that you're putting your trust in me. Thank you guys. So essentially the book of Ruth, it follows three main characters, which is Ruth, Naomi and Boaz, which is Naomi, Ruth, Husband, Jake, Boaz. All right. So at the beginning of the book of Ruth, we meet Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons. And the story finds the family in a period of famine. And they're forced to leave Bethlehem, their hometown, and go to the town of Moab. Everyone say Moab. Moab. Very good. Once they got there, sadly, Elimelech passes away, which is very sad. And around the same time, the two sons both find wives, Moabite wives, one of them being Ruth. And unfortunately, they only have 10 years together before the two sons also pass away. So, just to, to give reference, son number one, you die. So, you can take your seat. Thank you, Brock. Um, Elimelech, you've passed away. You can also take your seat. Short short stage fame this morning. You really didn't have to do very much. Son two, you're also dead. Thank you, Jacob. You're great. Thank you. So, we're left with the three ladies and Boaz who, who comes in later very cool. So then Naomi plans to return to her hometown of Bethlehem and encourages the son's two wives to go back to their hometowns in search of new husbands. But Ruth is pretty determined to stay with Naomi. They've got a pretty good relationship. But Orpah, the other um, wife, she is like, nah, I'm nicking off. I'm going to go find husband number two. So you can go sit down. You're going to go find husband number two. Thank you. So, we're just left with Ruth and Naomi and and Boaz, you can take your seat too because we'll hear about you later. Very good. Actually, you know what? You guys don't need to be up here either. Thank you for playing your part. Let's give it up for the ladies. Very good. So, chapters one and chapter two basically follow Ruth and Naomi as they make their way back to Bethlehem to start their new lives. So, point one for this morning, if you are taking notes, is God works for you. God works for you. So, at the end of chapter 1, the final verse, verse 22, says this. So, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, you might read that and think, what does that even mean? Surely, that's not really anything important. But I believe that there is nothing in the Bible that is there by accident. Amen? Yes. So, I wanted to read into why this was significant. And so, I studied the verse and the story a little bit more and I realized something. The journey back from Bethlehem to Moab, oh sorry, to Bethlehem from Moab, um, is actually a really big journey and it was just the two of them, just Ruth and Naomi and they had no husbands or men in their family which was customary as kind of the protectors, the providers of the family and it was, it was just the two of them and they arrive in, in Bethlehem and their biggest needs at the time are my two favourite F's, food and family how good, I love food and family and that was their biggest needs when they arrived and so what I love about this seemingly seemingly insignificant verse is that they didn't arrive when there was mountains of work to be done during a sowing season or a reaping season, they didn't arrive when there was famine, they escaped famine but they arrived just in time for a harvest and I think that is such a cool little thing to remember that that's kind of like their glimmer of hope, their glimmer of hope for their future that they would arrive just in time for a harvest. And although I don't think this verse kind of directly says, as we've seen, it doesn't say God brought about a barley harvest just in time for Ruth and Naomi. It doesn't say that. But I believe that this is God's kind of way of showing us that his protection and provision was all over these women and he was fully in control, no matter what was going on around them. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think that we're going to be able to understand everything that God is doing. Like if we're in tune with God, we should be able to understand what He's doing. It should be clear. It should be really, really obvious. But God's thoughts are much bigger than our thoughts. And His ways are far greater than our ways. And that often means that we're not going to be able to understand what God is doing. And I know for me, that's really frustrating when I don't get what God's doing. But no matter whether we see it at the time, during whatever we're facing in hindsight looking back, or just when we see Jesus at the pearly gates in eternity, God, his fingerprints and his sovereignty and his protection and provision are all over us, all over you this morning. It's all over us. And even the very situation that you might be begging God to remove from your life, he's got provision and protection for you in that situation too. So point one is God works for you. Point number two, God works with you. So we've got God works for you and God works with you. Now, one of the reasons that I was very excited to be writing a message about the book of Ruth is because there's a faith statement in there that um, some of you might have heard of before. And I actually included it in my wedding vows to Jake in our um, wedding last year, November. Woo-hoo! And um, most people, when they hear this, they think, oh, that's so beautiful. You know, Ruth and Boaz, like, I'm going to go and find my Boaz or I'm going to go and find my Ruth. You know, And they think it's this romantic kind of statement of commitment, which is what it was for me when I was sharing it with Jake and blubbering um, my way through it on, at the altar. Um, but for this actual context, it's between Ruth and Naomi. So Ruth is sharing it to her mother-in-law, so it's not very romantic, actually. Um, and so I don't know what Ruth's emotional state was when she was sharing this to Naomi, but I was a mess. Tears were flowing. It was embarrassing. I had like three tissues stuffed in my sleeve and my wedding dress. It was bad but I'm going to read it to you and I won't cry in Jesus' name. Um, But if you want to read along with me, it's Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. And it says this, but Ruth replied to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Now, this is the part where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wowzers. This is a big commitment. It's powerful. And I wanted to unpack this statement a little bit because the context and the meaning behind what Ruth is actually saying to Naomi is massive. It's huge. Ruth is saying, your people, your community is going to be my community. Your God is going to be my God. My God. And a little history lesson for those of you who don't know anything about Moab, which I didn't until I studied this. um, Where Ruth was from, this place of Moab, is not a God-following place. Probably the polar opposite. It is known for its perverseness. Imagine being labelled as the perverse place. Like, that would just be horrible. It's known for its prostitution, for satanic worship of other gods, and even child sacrifices. It's pretty full-on. These guys probably shopped at Audi and had Samsung phones too just completely horrendous. Just kidding. I love Audi. Shout out to Audi. They're great. So this is a pretty big like God, like opposite of God place um, for Ruth to grow up around. And so for Ruth to make this statement of completely shifting to following the God of Israel and saying, your people, my people, your God is going to be my God is massive. She's making a huge shift in allegiance. And I also made a huge shift, um, not from satanic worship to to God, um, but from Adelaide to Murray Bridge. So I'm not actually from Murray Bridge, I'm from Adelaide and I moved up here nearly six years ago now, I think, um, which is very cool. And I um, moved up here when I was a starry-eyed 18-year-old, the world at my feet, didn't know what I was doing, um, but I felt called to be here um, and I felt called to, to be with Jake who was my new fresh boyfriend at the time. Um, and so, I, yeah, I felt called by God, but it didn't really make any logistical sense to come here. You know, most people move from Murray Bridge to Adelaide, so it was pretty unorthodox to do the opposite. Most of my friends are like, Holly, girl, think this through. Like, what are you doing? Um, it didn't make any kind of logistical sense, financial sense. I didn't have a job up here. I was still working in Adelaide. Um, My family that I grew up with is beautiful. They're Christians. They introduced me to Jesus. I have great relationships with them. I had a stable job down there. Um, I lived in a good part of town. Great upbringing, great church family. I was really comfortable. Like, I didn't have any real reason to leave. So, did it make any logistical sense? No. Did it make any financial sense? No. Didn't make sense to my friends and family, really. They were okay with it, but they were like, oh, this is really weird. Um, But it didn't really make a lot of sense. But when, even though it didn't make sense, I had to realise something, that God was wanting to work on my behalf. And even though it didn't make sense to me, it made sense to Him. And He was working on my behalf and He was going to provide for me, even though I couldn't see it at the time. So, I I wasn't going to have a home when I got here. I was going to be homeless. I was going to have no job. Um, I, there was no setup for me here. So I really had to trust in God. But I knew that he was going to use my obedience for a reason. And so I trusted him. And I was super blessed. I ended up having a conversation with our incredible pastors, Pastor Josh and Bell. Let's give them a clap. They're the best. Um, and they agreed to let me live with them, which was a big thing. I was so grateful. I was going to have a home. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so I've been with them for the last five years. And now I'm in the, the newlywed shed with Jake sorry, um, which is where we've been for the last eight months. It's eight months, which is very exciting. And I got a job at Baker's Delight woohoo, at the time as well. So that helped me to be able to quit my job in Adelaide and move up here full time. So God did everything that I needed him to do. He provided a way when there was no way. And so I wanted to encourage you this morning that God wants to work with you. He wants to use your obedience and he's working on your behalf as well. And I believe that God wants to encourage us today to trust and obey Him. Not just to trust Him, but obey Him, even when it doesn't make sense to us. And over the 10 years that Ruth lived with Naomi, her family's example to Ruth really, really impacted her to the point where she shifted from believing in false gods to the God of Israel, which is a big, big shift. And it completely changed her belief system, how she viewed life, how she lived. She was leaving everything she'd ever known, which just like I did, and, and moving into a whole new community and trusting in a whole new God, and not just kind of believing in God, but trusting him with her whole life, leaving everything on the line. She was completely dependent on God to come through for her, and if he didn't come through for her, all of her hope was lost. It would have been pretty ruthless. <laughs> Thank you. I was asking Jacob, like, surely we can come up with some kind of really cringy, like, title for this sermon, but Ruthless was the only thing that we could come up with, and it's not even funny. It's really bad, but I thought I'll chuck it in just for comedic relief. Um, so, all of her hope was in God, and God blessed Ruth's obedience with the provision and miracles that her and Naomi needed to survive in this journey to Bethlehem. So, point two, God works with you. God wants to partner with your obedience, You see, God works in people's lives and that's often done through the obedience of ordinary people just like you and me. And I think it's one thing to trust God when things are going well, even when things kind of aren't going that well or you feel called to do something, but, you know, you've got the the prophetic word from a pastor to back it up or, you know, things have kind of lined up to make you feel secure and feel like God is in it. But what about the times when things are completely hazy, they don't make sense, there's no setup. there's no prophetic word. Like, what do we do then? What do we do when there's tragedy, when there's a death, or when there's sickness, or the diagnosis that you were not expecting, or family breakdown, or an anxiety that just kind of comes out of nowhere? Like, what do we do when it actually doesn't make sense, when we can't see what God is doing? Like, what do we do in those moments? I think it's in those times when we need to choose to trust and obey God, rather than just standing still and waiting for the answers that we're hoping for, but to actually trust and obey God. Because God can do miracles through your obedience, church. He wants, to be part, he wants us to be part of His plan to redeem the world. And if you're here and you've already experienced the love of God, you, you know His heart, you know His character, then maybe this morning, God wants to challenge you and encourage you to trust Him when it doesn't make sense when it seems like he's silent, when you can't wrap your head around what he might be doing or how he could possibly make this bad situation good, but to trust him, to trust that his motives are pure love. God works with you and he wants to partner with your obedience. Point three, it's my last point for this morning, is God works through you. So God works for you, God works with you and God works through you. Now, if you haven't read all four chapters of Ruth, you should do it. It's only four chapters. Just do it. It's really good. And in the story, we we know that Ruth goes through a lot of grief um, before this journey back to Bethlehem. Um, She loses her husband. Not only that, she loses both of her sons. So she goes through all of this tragedy um, quite severe. And I think she's kind of just left feeling as though God has completely abandoned her, that she has no hope left. She feels like God is punishing her, essentially. She's got a warped view of God's character. She doesn't see him as loving anymore. And Naomi believes that because she's faced this tragedy that God has forsaken her. And it says in chapter 1, verse 20, which will be on the screen, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Now, this name Mara actually means bitter or bitterness because the Almighty God has made my life very bitter. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know your, your life story but God does. And I wonder how many of us are here and we are feeling bitter, or we're feeling anxious about the future, or we're bitter towards God because of the situations that we face that we don't understand why he could have allowed it, or we just can't wrap our heads around it. I wonder how many of us are in a similar position to Naomi where we feel bitterness towards God. But I want to encourage you today that this story and your story is not a story of God's wrath. It's not This isn't like God's punishment on Naomi or anything like that. This is not a story of the wrath of God, but it's actually a story of God restoring Naomi's family. That's the whole plan. But Naomi doesn't see it at the time. Um, But God chooses to use ordinary people. He chooses to use Ruth and Boaz, who Tegan is going to talk about in a minute, to restore this family. Like that is his whole purpose for this, is to restore And this story gives us a glimpse of just how involved God is with our ordinary lives, with our ordinary everyday decisions and obedience. See, our obedience is just ordinary everyday things. It's just obeying God in the ordinary mundane moments of our lives. That's what God's asking us to do. You see, God uses our obedience to bring about the redemption and the restoration of His people. That's what He uses our obedience for. The book of Ruth asks us to look into how God might be at work in the mundane, ordinary moments of our ordinary lives, even in the areas that we think God isn't in control of, or in the areas where we think God might be silent. But, church, can I remind you that the God that we serve is always working? His fingerprints of provision and protection are all over you, no matter what, even in situations that you might be begging him to remove. God is all over you. He's always protecting you and he's always going to provide what you need. He wants to partner with you. He wants to use you. He's not just up there being a puppeteer, but he actually wants to use us as part of his plan. He wants to use every situation. He wants to restore everyone. It's not just about you and me that are here, that have been saved. You know, we're sorted. We're all set. But there's a whole world out there that needs to experience the redemptive love of Jesus. And that comes with us obeying God in everyday moments of our everyday, ordinary lives. Ruth teaches us that we don't have to have a platform or a position to be used by God or to impact people, because God is not waiting for your platform. He's not waiting for you to be in a particular position to use you or to impact other people through you. God is not after a platform or position, but He's after people who are willing to partner with Him. So will you partner with Him this morning? Will you partner with God? After all, God's motives are not self-seeking or selfish. They are to love, to save, to restore, to redeem. That's God's motives. They're always to love. So no matter how lost we find ourselves or no matter how lost our family is or our friends That's God's motives. And He wants to use your obedience to see the people that you love set free. And I don't know about you, but that's a God that I want to partner with. Is that good? Amazing. Well, that is all from me. So let's welcome up my lovely friend, Tegan Baldwin.
0: Good morning. How are we? I love sharing with you. Not going to lie, I felt like I was going to vomit before I came up here. But I'm not. I promise. Front row, beware. So this morning I'm sharing on chapter three and four of Ruth, which is awesome. So Ruth meets Boaz because Boaz is generous and lets her glean off his fields, right? Um, and Naomi thinks that's pretty awesome. So Naomi tells Ruth this really odd thing. To go and lie at his feet while he's sleeping. Now, if I woke up in the morning and saw someone lying at my feet, I'd freak out. So Ruth goes and she lies at Boaz's feet when he's asleep. Um, And she uncovers his feet and then lies down. And this was like an Israelite custom and law. So, although it's weird for us, it was actually normal back then for a servant to lie at the feet of his master. So by doing this, Ruth is informing Boaz that he could be her family redeemer. So a family redeemer is like a next of kin. So like someone that can choose to redeem you. So Ruth is a widower. Naomi is a widower. And um, Boaz says, like, I can be a family redeemer. So Ruth lies at the feet of Boaz and he wakes up and goes, who are you? Who are you? And Ruth um, chapter three, verse nine says, I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, Boaz was actually not the direct next of kin. There was someone else who he had to ask first before he could marry Ruth. So as we continue the story, he replies to Ruth and he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater um, than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town will know that you're a noble woman. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is closely, more closely related than I so, speaking of sleeping, I recently got married as well. Um, I got married to Jeremy, who was the drummer this morning. And growing up, I was known to not sleep still. So, I, my dad used to say I run marathons in my sleep. I'd wake up in the morning once I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Once I was camping, and do you know how like swags have like a flap? I woke up on the opposite side of the swag, like somehow move my way around so when I woke up in the morning I freaked out because I couldn't like I felt like I couldn't breathe so I just fell back asleep. I I, um, slept through a storm, a tree fell on our toilet um, when I was growing up, woke up in the morning, was so confused while the roof of our toilet was caved in. I'm an interesting sleeper so let's just say when you get married then you have to sleep next to another person. Um, So Jeremy didn't have much sleep on our honeymoon. I headbutted him. I slept in the middle of the bed and like spread myself out. I was so used to having the bed all to myself. Poor guy. And the other day I was having an intense dream and I was lying there. Jeremy was still awake and in my sleep, like I did this in my sleep, I sat up, then I stood up next to the bed and then I woke up and Jeremy turned over and was like, what are you doing? And I was like... I just had a dream like I had a phone call from Holly Betcher at work or something and I woke up and I thought I had to like go to work and then I was like oh no no and then I just went back to sleep so let's just say um sleeping next to someone it's fine for me because I just sleep through anything but poor Jeremy um if he looks tired today you know why I kicked him in my sleep So, yes, as we continue the story, after Ruth has good sleep at um, Boaz's feet, let's hope they didn't smell bad, um, Ruth goes back to Naomi and Naomi says to Ruth, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens today, the man won't rest until he has settled things today. So, I want to focus in on that character of Boaz. So, Boaz shows that he's generous by allowing Ruth to glean off his fields. He chooses to be their family redeemer, even though he didn't have to. And so as we continue, Boaz goes and speaks to the next in line, gets the elders of the town to come witness the conversation. The next in line family redeemer says, nah, I'm good. I don't want to marry Ruth. So Boaz tells the elders, I'm going to marry Ruth. And the elders speak this blessing over him. So, Ruth 4, verse 11 to 12 says, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in, let's say this, Ephrathah? Yes. And be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. So what's interesting about this, you might hear this and be like, they just said lots of different words about different people. But what's interesting is um, through the generations to come, come King David and Jesus. So God doesn't only bless Ruth and Boaz with the child, but later on in that generational line, we see Jesus. How cool is that? The elders spoke a blessing and that blessing continued on from generation to generation. So it's clear that Boaz is a man who is well respected, a good businessman who cares for his employees and his family. But what I want to focus in on is that Boaz did things the right way. He didn't take shortcuts when it came to marrying Naomi, um, Ruth I mean. Um, he didn't just consider himself but he made the choice to redeem them. So my point number one is don't take shortcuts and I want to relate that to us. Often we hear a prophetic word from a guest speaker or God speaks to us directly or we have this plan for our lives and we think we want it to happen now. We aren't necessarily patient. I know I'm not patient and we want it to happen now. So we try to push and strive and push doors open in order to see God's plan come to pass. But just because something's right, if it's done in the wrong time, it's wrong. And God has a plan for our lives and he has timing. And often we push and we strive and we try to take shortcuts in order to see that plan come to pass. But when we take shortcuts to the the destination, often we miss the journey of growth and learning and patience, and building of our character. So I want to encourage us today, we need to pray and ask God to help us make the right decisions, and allow God to grow our patience while we wait to see his plan come to pass. So my point number two is character over personality. So we see that Boaz has good character, right? But I want to look at the difference between what personality is and what character is and why it's important to have godly character. So personality comes from the Latin word persona, which was the masks that were worn by theatrical plays and Greek dramas. So one actor would wear multiple different masks, so be multiple different people. So as we look at that, personality can be described as the mask we wear for the world to see. We don't want them to see certain things in our life. So we go to work and we wear a mask or we um, go meet up with a friend and we wear a mask and we kind of cover our sin and cover it with this mask. So personality can be changed and shaped as the world changes. It's by, It's kind of like a selfish version of ourselves. Personality is a mask for the world to see, but character deals with the substance. The word character comes from the Greek verb meaning to engrave. How cool is that? A person's character is the visible sign of someone's inner nature. It's based around our values, our beliefs. Character is not just simply doing what you want, but doing what you ought to. When the Holy Spirit is working through us, we're able to push past our selfish ambition and show godly character. And we can develop a habit of obedience. How hard is it to be obedient to God sometimes? And we can make timely decisions when we're led by Him. Character is about living by conviction and godly desires in comparison to personality, which is being led by selfish ambition and worldly desires. And the difficult part of life is not just knowing what the right thing to do is, but doing it even when we don't feel like doing it. And sometimes doing the right thing sucks. Sometimes doing the right thing means we have to swallow our pride or say sorry to someone we don't want to say sorry to. But doing the right thing when we don't feel like it is good, godly character. I doubt Jesus felt like being tortured on the cross. But he did it because he shows good character and he loved us so deeply. And Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. And I believe a large part of having good godly character is having integrity, not needing to be seen by others in order to do what is right, but doing what is right because it's right. So, the word integrity actually has multiple meanings, which Pastor Josh told me, but it's to do with maths and stuff. So, I'm just going to say the meaning. And it says the state of being whole and undivided. The word character is the state of um, integrity means the state of being whole and undivided in comparison to personality, which is like multiple masks and multiple versions of ourselves. And some of us might feel like we can't bring our whole self to God, but we actually can. He already knows our sin. He already knows our faults. And he wants us to bring everything before him. We don't need to wear masks before God. And my last point for this morning is God is our redeemer. Amen? Boaz didn't have to be Ruth and Naomi's family redeemer. He chose to be. And God, Jesus, didn't have to be our redeemer. But He chose to be. He wanted to be. And we don't need to be perfect in order to be redeemed. The reason we have to be redeemed in the first place is because we're not perfect. And I had a revelation one day on the way to church. And I was praying to God. And I said, God, I can't serve you this morning because I haven't had the best week. I didn't read my Bible enough. And I was just praying this prayer. And God just stopped me and said, so you think on your perfect weeks, on your good weeks, that you're ever perfect enough to serve me. We are saved by His grace, not by our perfection. And when I had that revelation, I just was reminded that it's actually not about me. It's about God working through us. He uses broken people. We're all broken here. He makes us whole. And He loves us so, so deeply. And I feel that some of us need to hear that this morning, that none of us here are perfect. No one that steps onto this platform is perfect. None of us in this room are perfect. And we don't need to strive to earn God's approval, but He died so we wouldn't have to strive anymore. He died so that we wouldn't have to strive anymore. So let's be upstanding this morning. And we're going to sing this song called Jaira. And Jaira means Jesus. Jaira means the Lord will provide. And it says, Jaira, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough. I don't need to be perfect. I don't need to strive to be welcomed by you, but you are enough for me. And it says, in this song, it doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. So it doesn't actually take us to do something spectacular in, God, in order for God to love us. He loves us just the way we are. Even when we've sinned and fallen short, He loves us so, so deeply. That Jara, Jesus, is enough for us. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you've been coming to church for a while or this is your first time, and you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you, there's a prayer team at the back who would love to speak with you, to pray with you. And I want to read this verse, Romans 3, verse 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace, by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I wanna encourage us, we're not justified freely by our perfection or our striving, but by His grace. So I wanna pray for us this morning and then we're gonna go into the song Jira. And I want us to focus in on God and be reminded that He is enough for us. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, The door is always open for you at LifeHouse. God's house, our home.